Well, you've probably all been waiting for the joke, of course, and uh, <clears throat> that's what I'm known for. And uh, there was this older man, Don, and he went to the doctors and, uh, you know, uh, got the physical and things like that. And then he came home, and of course, you know why, they want to know what the doctor said. And, and, and so the, Don's wife asked him, well, what did the doc say? And, and Don said, uh, well, he, and he said this rather tersely. He wasn't happy. He said, hey, I need to lose weight. And he said, I need to get some more exercise. And, and then the wife, of course, his wife would do, she says, well, what are you going to do about it? And Don quickly says, I'm going to get a second opinion. <laughs> now, you know, I thought about that, you know, and all right, it's not that funny, but, you know. But, you know, when you think about it, isn't that how we Americans generally are? If we don't like what we hear, we'll just go and find somebody that will agree with us, right? If we don't like what we hear, we'll just go find someone who will agree with us. And uh, the Apostle Paul's last letter that he wrote in the Bible is 2 Timothy. And he wrote it to his young disciple, Timothy, not too surprising. And he had these words for his young disciple. He wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 3. He said this, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now watch this, they will reject the truth. And I think that day and time has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. No, that, that day and time has certainly arrived here in America. And you know, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but if you've been around me at all, you know, I'll usually just tell it straight. And the reality is I've been in pastorate for now 35 years, and I have found that the vast majority of Americans think they're their own pastor, and they're just going to find someone to agree with them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's actually a pretty dangerous thing to do. Let me give you an example. You know, not too long ago, someone said to me, hey, pastor, did you know that so-and-so left the church? I said, no, so-and-so left the church? Why did so-and-so leave the church? And uh, the person said, well, so-and-so said they didn't like what you preach. I said, really? That's the funniest thing. And they never came to me and sat down and opened the scriptures up and said, pastor, I don't agree with you on this and this point. I said, never happened. And, you know, I just want you to understand something. It's really dangerous because watch it. says they will reject the truth. And what scares me about so many people that I know is that so often their decision-making comes from their feelings. You know, you know how the book of Judges ends? And everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. That's really a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be doing what is right in your own eyes because that sets you up for deception. And that's what I really want to talk about is is we're moving into Ephesians, near the end of Ephesians. We've moved from relationship and now we're moving into a section entitled spiritual warfare in the book of Ephesians. And you're going to find out that your best defense is truth is really to want to know the truth and to walk in the truth. So I've entitled the message this morning, Your Real Enemy, Your Real Enemy. Lord, I just uh, thank you for everyone here. I don't believe it's by accident you drew them. It's Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day. They could be out in the park. They could be doing a whole raft of things, but they're not. You brought them here, and I believe you brought them here because... Now more than ever, it's truth necessary. And I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. 
Because we don't need Frank Ray's opinion, but we need to hear truth. We need to hear your word. And so I just thank you for each person here, and I ask that you bless them. And the greatest blessing I believe you can give us is soft hearts. That we would genuinely have soft hearts to receive, and that we would have ears to hear what you have. So I thank you now for what is going to transpire here in the next several minutes as we look at the word of God. May you just be glorified now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord. Notice it didn't say yourself. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul makes it crystal clear here in these verses that you have an enemy, that I have an enemy, and that enemy seeks to destroy us. That enemy seeks to destroy you. The enemy, by the way, is not the person sitting next to you. Your enemy is also not Barack Obama, the President of the United States. Your enemy is not your boss who you may not like. Your enemy is not your neighbor or your co-worker. Your enemy is not even ISIS. In fact, I'm going to tell you this morning that your enemy does not carry a social security number. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that our true enemy is none other than Satan. The demonic realm, the Bible calls it the dark world or the dark powers. Now, Satan and demons have a tremendous advantage over most of us. You know what that advantage is? The advantage is the vast majority of people either don't believe in Satan and demons and the dark world or they just don't take them seriously. You know, several years ago, the New York Times, they actually reported a study where 1,000 people in the United States were randomly selected and the pollsters asked them this one question. They said, do you agree with this statement that Satan is not a living being, but just a symbol of evil? 62% of Americans agreed with that statement. Just think, no, just think of the advantage that Satan has over those people. It's a tremendous, tremendous advantage. You know, when I was a little boy, one of my favorite shows was The Twilight Zone. Remember that, the Twilight Zone? A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Skip just wanted to do that, so you got to give Skip a hand for that, huh? But no, the Twilight Zone was a kind of a really interesting program by Rod Serling, and And I remember one particular episode. The episode was entitled The Howling Man. And the reason why I remember it is because it terrified little Frankie. And the episode started out this way. There was a young American, 
And he was traveling throughout Europe, back, you know, backpacking, hitchhiking, and, one, and whatnot. And kind of the episode opens up with, it's night, of course, and, and it's a raging rainstorm. And, 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 and this young American's going through this raging rainstorm, and suddenly he comes upon this medieval castle. And he knocks on the door, and as it turns out, it's kind of a monastery for monks. And the monks reluctantly let the American in. Later that night, as the American's kind of checking things out in the medieval castle, he comes upon this prison. And inside the prison, there is a prisoner, and an ancient wooden staff bolts the door. The prisoner claims that he's being held captive by the insane head monk, Jerome. The prisoner pleads with the young American to release him. And the prisoner has a kind face and he has a gentle voice. And and, and the American is really moved. So the American goes looking for the head monk, Jerome, and he finds him. And he confronts him about the prisoner in the prison cell. And Jerome tells the young American... You need to understand something. That prisoner in the prison cell is none other than Satan himself, the father of lies. And Satan is being held captive by that ancient wooden staff because it is the staff of truth. And that is the only barrier that Satan cannot pass. Well, hearing this from the head monk Jerome, the American is now absolutely convinced that Jerome is insane. And so the first chance he gets, he releases the prisoner and he removes that ancient wooden staff and the prisoner gets out and suddenly that prisoner transforms from a beautiful face, a gentle voice to this hideous, ugly, demonic being with horns. And and, and the American is horrified and then this prisoner who is transformed now into this hideous demonic being, vanishes in a puff of smoke. The American is absolutely stunned. The American is horrified at the realization of what he has done. Jerome responds somewhat sympathetically to the American. He says, I am sorry for you, my son. All your life, you will remember this night and who it is you turned loose upon this world. I didn't believe you. The young American cried out, I saw him. I saw him, but I didn't recognize him. And Jerome, the head monk, solemnly responded, that is humanity's weakness and Satan's great strength. I want you to know this morning, Satan is very, very Real. Jesus himself battled Satan. Jesus did not battle an idea of evil. Jesus did not battle a symbol for evil. Jesus battled evil itself. And I want you to know this morning that evil does have a real face. The apostle Peter The apostle Peter encountered Satan himself. In fact, firsthand, he experienced his deceptive powers. And he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Skip, can you put that up? Peter wrote these words. Stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, just looking for someone whom he may devour. Peter and Paul agree with one another. 
there really is a malevolent being called Satan. And he seeks to destroy you and ultimately to devour your soul and my soul. Now, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 this. Skip, can you put that up? He says, so therefore put on, because it's true, put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. You see, what Paul is saying is because we have a supernatural enemy, therefore we need supernatural armor to stand up and defeat this supernatural enemy. Just as you cannot stop or control a flood with a flamethrower or a forest fire with a floodlight, nor can you stop, nor can you defeat or control Satan with human ingenuity, and human power. Next week, I pray you'll come. Because next week we'll actually begin to look at the various pieces of armor that God provides for the believer. They're supernatural armor. Again, no human armor is going to do the job against Satan. You will be defenseless against Satan and the demonic world unless you understand what the supernatural armor is and you apply it. And by the way, if you are not born again, if you've never come to a point in your life where you've actually placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you understand why he died on that cross, why he was a bloody mess. If you've never come to that point and understand that he was dying for you and he was dying for me, he was dying for the sins of the world, then you are going to be completely defenseless because only believers, only believers are given the supernatural armor. So I really pray if you've never come to the point in your life, right now, if you sense the spirit of God, Jesus says, behold, now is the time I stand at the door and knock. And if you sense the Holy Spirit knocking on your door and you've honestly never opened it up, this morning's your morning because, see, you're defenseless against Satan. You are absolutely defenseless. We're going to begin to see just this morning he is not a foe to be taken lightly at all. So Paul tells us, by the way, that Satan has strategies. Have you ever wondered what those strategies are? Well, that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at some of Satan's strategies that he uses against us. And interestingly enough, the way we can deduce the strategies of Satan is by looking at some of the titles. Some of the titles, some of his names that he has in the word of God. And so that's what I want to do the rest of this morning is just begin to look at some of the titles that Satan is given in the word. For example, let's just take the name Satan. Do you know what the name Satan means? Anybody? means adversary, one who opposes. So Satan clearly opposes God. And you know what he wants you to do and what he wants me to do? He's going to do everything in his power to get us to oppose God, to go contrary to his will. And he's very good, by the way, at doing that. Satan wants us to sin. We don't like that three-letter word. You know what sin is? It means to miss the mark. It means to miss the target. It means to go contrary to the character and will of God. It means to walk contrary to your design. And the reason why Satan wants you to do that and wants me to do that is because he wants to destroy you. 
No, no. Make no mistake about it. He wants to destroy you. He makes it sound wonderful, but let me tell you, it's not wonderful. Sin, yes, it says in Hebrews 11. You know what? Sin is pleasurable for a moment. That's why we do it. I, I won't deny it. Sin feels really good, doesn't it? But just for a moment. And then it comes back and it bites you. And so Satan, number one, is our adversary. Now, we're told this in First Peter. Skip, put it up again. I want us to look in First Peter again. Remember, Peter said to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for just someone whom he may devour. Peter calls Satan the devil. The Greek word is diablos. Diablos means the slanderer. Satan is a master at slander. He gets us to say false things. He gets us to believe false things about God. You ever experience a trial? Maybe this morning you've come and you're in pain. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you have sickness. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you know someone that does have cancer. And I'll tell you, Satan, the slanderer, Diablos, he comes and he whispers in our ear when we're in pain, when we're in confusion, and when we're suffering. And he said, see, see, God doesn't love you. God isn't good. He doesn't really care about you at all. If he did, he wouldn't allow this to be happening in your life. Oftentimes, the devil will slander and have a slander and think false things about leaders, pastors, teachers, elders. He'll get us to think false things about fellow believers. You know why he does that? To create division. You see, when he creates division, things fall. In fact, Abraham Lincoln understood that. The Civil War was fought on that basis. He said, a house divided. I can't allow the South to succeed. A house divided will surely fall. And so anytime I see arguments occurring, I see division, I see strife. See, that's a mark of Satan. He's in your life. And he does that because if he can divide you, if he can create division, then he's going to conquer you. And you're going to watch things implode around you. The Apostle Paul then says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5 this. Skip, can you put it up? He says, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless Here Paul calls Satan the tempter. The Greek word Paul uses is parazon. And it literally means to try and entrap or trap. And you know what Satan seeks to do? He seeks to entrap every single one of us. You say, well, how can he entrap me? I'll tell you how he entraps us. By appealing to our flesh, to our pride, to our ego. Let me give you an example. Let's say a guy goes into Dunkin' Donuts and he's on a diet. We won't say what, who the guy is, all right? But he goes into Dunkin' Donuts. He's on a diet. He goes in and he's just going to get a nice coffee because it's hot outside. And suddenly in the back there, guess what's back there? You ever notice where the donuts are? 
eyesight. And all of a sudden, you know what? The tempter comes and he goes, don't those donuts look good this morning? Woo! Look at the frosting on those things. And you've really worked hard this week. You deserve to have a donut or two or three. And you know what? Your wife's not even around. (laughs) Who's going to tell her? How is she going to even know? (laughs) Tasted darn good. (laughs) You're a man. Things aren't going well in your marriage. And suddenly it's late at night. You see a prostitute. The tempter appeals to your lust, just as before he appealed to our gluttony. Now he appeals to your lustful desires. Your wife hasn't been treating you right. And the tempter comes and he informs you. Notice what your wife has been doing to you. She's been withholding intimacy from you. Look at her. She's ready. She's available. You want her, don't you? She'll make you feel good. She'll make you feel like a man. Go ahead and take her. No one's going to find out. No one's going to know. Many men have fallen. You're a woman. You go to the mall. And now you're going there to get a specific item, but as you decide to go through Macy's, Suddenly, you see a dress. And the tempter comes along and he appeals to your pride. He appeals to your ego. And he says, look at that dress. You would look spectacular in that dress. You would look marvelous in that dress. Now, yes, it's $300, a little, little on the high side. But just imagine it on you. You would be the envy of all the women And all the men, they couldn't take their eyes off you. Go ahead. Go ahead and buy it. Your husband's not going to see the charge for another month. Don't worry about it. And you bite down. And before you know it, you have problems. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 31, he said this about Satan. He said, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Now, some of you might be confused on that point. You go, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the ruler of this world. He's God. Well, technically, he is. And it's true that Jesus at the cross in his resurrection won the title deed to the earth back. But he didn't take it actually back 2,000 years ago. That's what the book of Revelation is about. We went through the book of Revelation. And if you look at Revelation chapter 5, you suddenly see the Lamb. And you see the Father's on the throne. And it said, who is worthy to take the scroll with the seven seals? And John begins to cry because no one is found worthy to do it. But then the Lamb comes. And the Lamb is able to take the scroll. That's the title deed of the earth, by the way. And the Lamb in Revelation, will take the earth back. But make no mistake about it, right now, Satan is the ruler of this world. And the implications you're not going to like. Let me just give you a few of the implications of Satan being the ruler of this world. Who do you think created the American dream? 
Who do you think created the American dream and came up with it? You know, I really haven't been following much of the Republican convention. It's over now. But apparently Ivanka Trump introduced her father. And she was using glowing terms, which you would expect about her father. But uh, apparently what she was highlighting more than anything, did you notice what she was highlighting? She apparently was highlighting that the guy builds buildings. And he said, when Donald builds a building, he builds a building and he gets it done. But not only does Donald build buildings, he builds skylines. And she was really proud of that, right? (laughs) You know, I was thinking, you know what? What do you think those buildings are going to look like in 100 years or 200 years when Jesus comes back? They're going to look like a bomb shelter, bombed out, nothing. They'll all be leveled. You see, Satan has created the American dream, and he's gotten you and I to believe that having houses and cars and worldly success really matters. But see, when he comes back and his kingdom comes, he's the fifth kingdom. And when Jesus' fifth kingdom comes, nothing in this world will have lasted or have mattered. But see, he gets us to believe he's created the American dream. Who do you think created magazines like Cosmopolitan? You ever wonder? You know, 17. You ever go to the checkout stands and, you know, you see all these magazines. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get young girls. Young girls, they look at that and they go, wow, this is the way a woman is supposed to look, right? And then they get all kinds of, you know, food issues and addictions. They begin to have bulimia and anorexia as a result. But who do you think came up with those magazine covers and those magazine ideas? It was Satan to destroy young girls and to destroy women. To think, See, you're no good. You're nothing if you don't look like those magazine covers. Who do you think controls the governments of this world? You can just read Daniel 10. There's the prince of Persia. There's a prince of every single, over every single government in the world. That's why you see such chaos in the world. Who do you think, you know, came up with false religions? Now, I know I'll get in trouble for this one, but I'm, I'm sorry, you know, if, if you want to talk about Islam, Muhammad, if you, if you study it at all, you, do you realize that Muhammad saw Gabriel? He saw an angel of light. He saw Gabriel, and he saw Gabriel over a 25-year period where Gabriel gave him the Quran. And it's funny, after the first meeting, you know what? Muhammad thought it was a demon who was trying to trick him, and guess who convinced him that wasn't a demon? His wife. That's right. That's absolutely true. Do you know how Mormonism got started, Joseph Smith? He saw three angels, three personages. You think those were from God, or do you think they were fallen angels? I'll tell you, they were fallen angels. You say, well, why would Satan create false religion? I'll tell you why, to create confusion. He wants you to not believe in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way. I am the truth, not a truth among many truths. Jesus says, I am the truth. And Jesus also says, by the way, that I am the life. Only in me will you find eternal life. And then we're told this about Satan. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said this about Satan. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth 
because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. Now watch this. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. You know, several weeks ago, I talked to you about David Letterman. Of course, David Letterman is retired. But one of the things that gave David Letterman his fame was, of course, his top 10 lists, right? Well, I want to give you the top 10 lies of Satan. You might want to write these down. Here are the top 10 lies, all right, of Satan. Number 10, lie number 10. God doesn't really exist. Man just made him up to feel secure in the world. Lie number nine. There is no such place as hell. A loving God would not create such a place as hell. Lie number eight. This life is all that there is. Don't let anyone cheat you out of your piece of the pie. Line number seven. Sin is not really that serious. God is a nice fellow up there in heaven and he just winks at it. Line number six. God wants you to be happy, so do whatever it takes to make you happy. Line number five. Acquiring lots and lots of things will make you happy. Lie number four, God does not love you. You have been too bad for God to really want you. Lie number three, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Your truth is just as good as the person sitting next to you. Lie number two, the Bible is not the inspired word of God. It was written by a bunch of fallible men. And finally, Satan's number one lie. You know what Satan's number one lie is? Satan's number one lie is... He does not exist. Satan's number one lie is that he does not exist. Please remember this. If you believe a lie, if you bite down on a lie... If you live out a lie, you will live in bondage. And ultimately, you will be destroyed if you continue living in that lie. But if you know the truth, if you live in the truth, then you will live in life. And you will live in freedom. Let me give you another Name of Satan. We're told this, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. Skip, put it up real quick as we wind down here. But I am not surprised, Paul writes, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Skip, put up the picture. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No, this thing ought to, that thing terrifies me. Because, see, we have the idea. We have the idea that Satan, you know, he's going to be this grotesque, horrible figure. We kind of have the exorcist where green vomit comes out. Don't we? I mean, no, that's our picture of him. Oh, it's a huge advantage he has on Moses. He's so much more subtle than that. What Paul is telling us is that he's beautiful. He's winsome. He's going to come to you, and he's very Very good. He's very, very winsome. And because we don't recognize him, 
We don't realize that Satan, the angel of light, he is able to make the bad look good. He's able to make the false look true. He's able to make the wrong look right. He's able to take the ugly and make it beautiful. And he's able to take the superfluous and make us think that it really is important when it's not. When it's not. And this leads me to the final name of Satan that I want to talk about this morning. We see the final name of Satan in the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It's found in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11. And the apostle John writes this. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek it's Apollyon, the destroyer, the destroyer. See, that's really Satan's real name. His real name is the destroyer, Apollyon. He is tenacious. He is ferocious. He doesn't quit. And he seeks you. He seeks me. And his end goal is to have your soul and it to be devoured forever and ever and in eternal hell. And he's bent. No, no. He's bent on your destruction. And you make a major mistake to underrate him. And see, that's the challenge this morning. The challenge is it's very simple. So if you're uh, in the worship team, you can come on up. The challenge is simple. Please, you know, I played sports. And the greatest mistake you could make in playing sports is to underrate your opponent, not to just take them lightly. Really, a really bad mistake to make. And so my challenge this morning is to recognize that Satan really is real. And he seeks to destroy you. He seeks to destroy your family. And if you don't take him seriously, he will do it. I cannot tell you how many families right now are being destroyed because the husband and the wife are believing lies and their kids are. And now they see the kids in rebellion. They see their marriage on the rocks. They see their kids involved in sex. And it's just a mess. Oh, he's good. He's much better than we think that he is. Please take him seriously. So next week, you come back and we'll begin to look at the armor. There is armor that can stop Satan in his tracks. Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you, Lou, for your word. Because your heart's desire is not that we would live in defeat. You want each one of us to live in victory. We do not have to live in defeat. We do not have to live in negativity. We do not have to live in anger and bitterness. We don't have to allow lust to be controlling us. We don't have to allow envy and greed to be. We don't have to have a vengeful spirit controlling us. All of those things end up destroying us and those around us. And we don't have to do it. But that's what Satan seeks to do in our lives. He seeks to destroy us with all of those things and then destroy the people around us. I just ask now, Holy Spirit, that as we sing this last song, you'll be moving. You will be moving. Convicting us where we need conviction. And most of all, that if we haven't done it now, that we will truly surrender to Jesus Christ because he is truth itself and he can lead us to victory.
And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.